Yeah, so it's like the reality is you have to do the thing first. Like the highest level authority is the person who's done the thing and then teaches the thing. Like I built one of the biggest fitness businesses in Europe and now teaching other people to do the same thing. What do you think that is? You want to be a trusted advisor. You don't just want to be someone who just, yeah. who's there to take, right? If your whole purpose is to take, 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 you're going to be found out. And the online space is rootless for that. It's people, it's their perception of you that you put yourself out there and how you interact with people. That's where I also think a lot of people, particularly young guys, they create such a thirsty lifestyle for money that it's almost like a fucking giant snake that strangles them to death. Welcome to another episode of the Physically Jack Financially Stacked podcast. Today we have a episode specialising in talking about podcasts with Darren Lee, who uh, wanted to be introduced as an ordinary dude, however, uh, <laughs> specialises in podcast growth. So for anyone who wants to grow a podcast or grow your audience, um, we're going to get some fascinating insights in terms of what you've done, and you also help big corporate companies in terms of growing a presence using podcasts. So firstly, big thank you for your time. Appreciate it, man. I like the name of the podcast too. I really appreciate yeah. it. But it's interesting because no matter if you're an entrepreneur or just Kate and started or like a creator, using a podcast is going to be a very valuable resource for you. And there's different ways to slice and dice it. So let's get into it. 100%. First question I want to ask you, what's the biggest mistake people make when launching a podcast? Hmm. They don't understand the severity of what's involved. So if you're getting into, let's say, Instagram, and you're shredded, you've been in the gym for many years, and you know that you can provide value on Instagram, you just take a photo of you in the gym, and you write a little blurb on it, and you post it. Same on Twitter. If you're good at writing, you can share your insights. But people don't understand there's so many nuances to podcasting, which extends far beyond just recording and posting there's like the management there's the back end there's the operations if you're working with guests you have to plan those people you're basically running like an entire like admin business and if you're starting out on your own and you're spinning multiple different like vehicles like i was in the beginning of my business you don't realize how much is going on and you lead to a lot of overwhelm bear in mind 90 percent of the podcasts don't get to episode three and of the 10 percent left 90 percent don't get to episode 20 and the reason isn't because this is too difficult because you learn that skill but it's managing everything on an ongoing basis right so i've seen people get into this you know hot-headed trying to like basically become like a top one percent podcaster and they boil down because they don't realize that it's going to take longer than you expected and it's going to be harder than you expected now bringing it back to the instagram example when you throw up a photo of you being shredded on the beach you get a lot of attention right you get a lot of likes get a lot of comments probably from mostly dudes right <laughs> but a lot of dudes a, a lot of dudes but with a podcast because the episodes are so long it's difficult to get that retention and it's difficult to get that engagement because like as much as I like you, Charlie, I might not be able to sit down for a two hour podcast twice or three times a week. And that's a big discouragement for people. So they don't see because the normal ways to validate your work that we normally see on social media are not the main metrics that they see. Now let me explain that. People are looking and they expect it's going to blow up overnight, but it's not. But all of the other benefits that's going to come from a podcast, like us doing today, networking, building your business, building a tribe, building an audience, putting in those valuable hours to build up like trust with your audience. Bear in mind, uh, Daniel Priestley broke down saying that it's seven hours roughly someone needs to consume before they buy from you. You can achieve that pretty quickly with a podcast. But people think in short term, they don't think in terms of long term. And as a result, they get into this, goes over their head. A couple of months later, they're out. 100% agree with that. And I think 
the reality is if you're trying to sell a product to someone or warm someone up to you, there's a lot of three second reels they have to watch to equivalent to like seven to 10 or 11 hours or whatever it is in terms of the golden rule. And I think that's when a lot of people also don't understand that people buy from people. So mm-hmm. um, anyone who watches, listens to this podcast, you'll have a very good understanding of the way my brain thinks and my thought process. So it'd be very either aligned to the way I am or not. And then you probably wouldn't listen to this anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're just seeing judging someone on a superficial level from a three second reel there's very little relationship you can build in that process 100 percent. and the problem with that as well is that it can come off the wrong way right when you sit down to listen to your podcast after 15 20 minutes i have a good idea of like your values your systems you know some things that you're interested in and i can see like your value as a result but with short form or with you know tweets that are like aggressive and controversial and just digging into things that people don't necessarily even believe right people mm. a lot of kind of people put out they don't even believe it that's the funny thing that it's easy to have the wrong perception of someone and you can go off and create 100 reels and sure you can sell some products and info products in the back end but there is a negative repercussion as a result however with a podcast what you're really trying to build is authenticity and we have to go back to some of those originals right the people that build those big tribes let's think all the og fitness people right all christian guzman rob lipset all these guys they built true authenticity with their community and that was before the podcast day that was just youtube videos so on and over time they're the people that buy from you because they see part of the journey and they see part of the struggle i think that's where you can really get sort of fought out really easily if you don't believe what you're saying and that's another reason my podcast failed, right? Because guys will get in to sell. We have this coaching program. We need to find a way to sell it. Let's spin up a podcast. A couple of months come in, interest comes down, sales comes down, people ex- exit straight away and hop onto the next thing. And a big philosophy for me, so I've been in this for like four years and I've been like really all in this four years is because I know that the asymmetrical returns do not come in after a year, just like the gym. Two years, three years, four years. It kicks in over time, right? We do cause and effect you do something today you don't see the effect next month it'll be three months four months but if you keep doing that task which is recording podcasts putting valuable content out helping people solving problems that you will see the benefit a year from now and i always have that kind of frame and the reason why that's important is because when new things pop up people just jump right four years ago tiktok was barely a thing when i started podcasting everyone flocked to that then it went to reels then it went to youtube shorts and then uh, Elon bought at Twitter, right? So there's all different things grabbing your attention. But I'm so, like, I guess bullish on this because it's a true form of communication. It's me and you interacting today. People will get a good ins- insight into who I am, who you are. And then as a result, I'm building a better connection with people. 100%. When it comes to um, launching podcasts, do you have specific strategies people use to try and get more traction at the beginning mm-hmm. so that it doesn't just hit full on deaf ears? Mm hmm. I like to split it up into two different parts. So you could be someone like me who got into the space with no influence, no authority, no business in the back end. Like I was just basically looking for something new to do. And I started a podcast to basically like network and find new people. Now that's tough. It's a grind. Whereas someone like yourself, who's built a business, who's done all that grunt work. If you have someone, if you have a skill and you have a way to monetize it, and if you've done the experience, that puts you in a position of authority. And usually when you're coming into anything, you need authority and you need experience. If you have the experience down, building the authority is a lot easier. So basically what we're trying to do is find people that have built businesses or have a strong business, and then they want to be able to get their brand out. So that's the best way to be able to kind of go from 
zero to hero is let's make sure we nail that business proposition or the value proposition. So if you're an online coach and you want to be able to build your brand and your influence, we're creating like a very specific fitness entrepreneurship podcast on the back end. Now, there are just different ways to like increase your leverage, right? And Naval always talks about leverage. It's like basically how built the principle around this is the fact that when you're putting in all those years of work, it makes it a lot easier, right? And there is no hack, there is no trick because at the end of the day, it's just going to be following that principle down. But a lot of people get into this without the experience. Completely chill, completely fine. My approach towards this is really about planning for the future because it's not about doing this today and then giving up in six months' time. If you could share it out what your podcast or what your content could look like over the course of a year and then reverse engineer that and think, okay, if we want to put out, let's say, 50 podcasts in a year or 25, one every two weeks, what would that look like? Let's open up a spreadsheet and start charting that down. And the more I'm able to basically break this down with someone and walk this through them, it gives them confidence and belief because they know they can come in and record and create excellent episodes. So I think this gives people confidence because, again, people get into it for the wrong reasons and they're just jumping into it. And we've seen positives, we've seen negatives, but mainly the more foresight you have thinking ahead, it's going to work better for you, right? 100%. Um, one of the things I like to talk about in business is like starting with the end in mind. Mm. So actually having an idea of where you're going and like why you're trying to do it rather than just aiming like, let's just press fucking record and 100%. off we go, right? And I think... Um, that's where so many people don't see the results they want because they don't know what the results they want actually are. 100%. And that comes with 48 laws of power, right? Mm. It's like you reverse engineer the end goal. Think of how many people get into business for the wrong reason. Why did they get into it? Probably leaving a job that they hate. Probably wanted to get, get a lifestyle. And I read that from, I learned that from the EMIT. It's a great book. It's how to remo- remove yeah. yourself in a business. And it's like, everyone gets into it for the wrong re- for the wrong reasons. They want to leave their traditional life. And then as a result, they just build a new life from himself, a new prison. And that can happen to you with your content, mm. right? How much people get stuck on a content hamster wheel without a system in place, without a strategy in place. And then as a result, they feel overwhelmed. And we just get people that say, oh, I'm too anxious. I got to get, get out of content for a while because they got into it for the wrong reasons. So it's like always charting that out from backwards, even if it comes into a strategy for YouTube we were talking about earlier. Like, why do you have a specific strategy for YouTube? What are you trying to achieve with it? How are you hitting those targets and how do you reverse engineer it? And you can get really nerdy or you can get kind of more in the Hormozy approach whereby you're doing more, you're doing it better and you're looking for the gaps then. That's kind of how I've been approaching it, right? It's like if you can hit a piece of content once a week coming out a long form video, okay, could we do two? And then could we look at those two episodes and see where they where the cracks were? Could we make them better? And that's how someone goes from like an amateur to a pro. Have you ever read uh, Turning Pro? Was he impressed? Yeah, yeah, it's a really, really good book. It's an excellent book, right? And that concept, it's internal, yeah. right? It's not like you're better than me or I'm better than you. It's where are you in your journey and how can I make that switch? So that was a big thing for me, right? Is that I was producing content for so long and I wasn't doing well because I wasn't seeing myself through that lens. But if I was to come into producing short form or producing YouTube videos on their own, but I view myself like as a professional, I want to actually have like a certain level of excellence, then you go and hit that. It's like in the gym, right? How much how much better results did you get when you start to view yourself as a professional? When you fucking hit your targets mm-hmm. of your nutrition, your training, your sleep, your recovery, and you viewed yourself at a higher level. And I feel like that's where people kind of struggle with the kind of confidence, maybe insecurity around the videos. Like you often find this when I'm recording with someone, they might feel a bit nervous because they don't necessarily have the experience or the viewpoint of themselves internally that, okay, they are someone that has, has, a, has a valuable story to share. Why do you think some people struggle to share their story? 
insecurity. So you're from the UK, yeah. from Ireland, right? I imagine a lot of people do hang around. Exactly, but it doesn't happen in America, right? Yeah. So my partner is an American. Her yeah. dad, um, hardcore entrepreneur, like really hardcore entrepreneur all through his life. And when I speak to him, I can tell him my biggest dreams and he's like, go do it. Whereas if, in you're, yeah. whereas if you're in the UK and Ireland, they're always, it's not always, but the mentality is kind of pulling you down from time to time. And I don't know what that is. It could be insecurity. It's something that maybe Dave could have done. So as a result, when you do have a great idea, you feel nervous to even speak about it. You don't do it in Dubai, right? If I was to tell you what I want to do in Dubai, you'd, you'd push me on and you want me to do it because it's, it's, it's in that environment. But it's usually if people are coming from an environment that's not, you know, I guess like social media growth or personal development growth or wanting to be able to kind of be someone who's different, if you don't have that environment, you, you don't want to share the stories. And I've really seen that happen over and over again. I, happen, I see it a lot when people produce content, but they don't want to post. They don't want to post on LinkedIn, on Instagram. They don't want to post on Twitter. You can clearly share to them how this mm. will benefit their business, how much money they'll make, how much it will improve like their network and everything, and they still won't do it. And I, you know, the concept of small poppy syndrome. Have you heard of that? Mm. Tall poppy syndrome. So they put, Same in Australia, right? Same in Australia, right? So in, in Ireland in particular, that happens a lot. Um, when you speak up and you want to do something different, people will try to pull you down. And unless you have a reason why you're doing it in the first place, like you're creating this podcast to help entrepreneurs or to help fitness professionals, well then, over time, that conditioning will actually knock you down. And how many times do we see this, right? It's people that don't have the confidence around the social circle around them to keep on going. But that's what I think the beauty of social media is because social media can become your, your networking circle. Because 100%. Like I, I actually mentioned on the previous podcast with Spencer that um, when I was an estate agent and I wouldn't escape the bubble of the fucking shitty nine to five matrix and all the bullshit I was surrounded with, I would drive around in my car and all I listened to was Grant Cardone and Gary Vaynerchuk because hmm. I was like, Grant Cardone knows how to sell and make money. Yeah. Gary Vee knows how to make content and get traffic. So I'm like, cool. So if I just fucking study these two people, this is going to be the escape for how the fuck I'm get out of this position. Yeah. And that's literally all I did. And then just try to amalgamate that into some sort of fitness bullshit and then off I went um, yeah. with no one to really teach me which in hindsight if I had someone to help me now back then I'd been way ahead but there wasn't really anyone else doing it back then but you didn't have the resources though no right and even when you don't have the cash like I remember mm. like you know Hormozy's 100 million dollar offer it was huge for me I feel like Hormozy is like the new Gary V yeah, does yeah, that make sense like yeah. just for the time and the years that come by and like I want to look back on that stuff being like, that was a stepping stone for me a couple of years ago, right? It's like, how the fuck do we do this? How do we craft the offer? How do we put everything together? But you need those people to be able to align yourself with and you need to let go of the other people. Mm. And this is something that, it's a harsh reality. You probably experience this a lot too, right? Is that to be a category of one and there's a fantastic book, Category of One, it's about how to truly distinguish yourself. It's a huge like value and how I kind of even, even gather myself, to be honest. It's like, we're all kind of the same. We're all like a commodity, you know, average business, average uh, entrepreneur, average car, average iPhone. But the experience and your values is what differentiates you. So if you're someone that's coming onto this online space and you are a fitness coach, you need to have that extra bit that can distinguish you. Now, it's not based on skill. It's based on how you interact with people, customer interaction. It's how people perceive you. That's what brand is, right? People think branding is colors and logo. The brand is what people talk about you when you're not there mm. or how you interact with someone when they have a uh, problem. You know, Saturday morning if something goes wrong, that's what your brand is, how you go in and actually help them. So... That, for me, was a huge philosophy. It comes from those mentors, right? Those individuals. And 
as a result, you start to let go of those kind of limiting beliefs. And I was just with uh, Luke Belmar on Wednesday, and I was saying, like, how do you, how did you let go of that identity? And he was like, I never really had the identity because I was on my own growing up in Argentina. There wasn't the people around me. Whereas a lot of people, as they go into their teens and their 20s, it becomes a social conditioning. Mm. So you have to unwind that and relearn. And that, for me, has been a very difficult process, right? Because I had to let go of all things I was wrong. You were in real estate. I was in finance. I had got to... I was 24 years old, making 100K a year. Sounds great, right? But that wasn't actually great because I couldn't help people around me and I was spending so much money on all this other stuff. So there was lots of different variables that were going on, right? And you have to unlearn what you learned. I was in university for four years doing software engineering. And then I had to realize, okay, this does not serve me. I have to go build my own stuff. And... Yeah, it's a it's a tough realization, right? Like entrepreneurship is really a self reflection of yourself, right? I think entrepreneurship is overly glamorized, and I don't think it's for everyone, which a lot of people don't realize. Because I see people trying to fit the mold of doing that, and it's definitely not for them. And as a given example, I can think of people I know who try to get into bodybuilding and like, dude, you can do whatever you want, but it's never going to work for you. Like mm. some people, you you either have it and you don't. And I, I know when I speak to someone straight away, just from the way they behave, whether they will see the course through it or not. Because like, even building a podcast is the same thing in terms of like, it's not like you press one episode, you get a million fucking downloads, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a war of attrition for a long yeah. period of time. And you know what? I would say, I would argue that building a business is easier than building a podcast because there's so many variables in building a podcast that's way beyond your control, right? There's like the algos, there's the timing, there's the retention, there's all these variables. Whereas for a business, it can be logical. Now it's obviously a shit show 90% of the time and you meet the wall resistance every single day, but there's a logical path. But for a podcast, it's illogical. illogical. I always talk about the intangibles. People measure marketing with tangibles. I put out an ad, how much leads do I get? I, you know, I send this outreach, how much people do I get back? With a podcast, it's intangibles. We're meeting today. In a year's time, we could work on something together, mm. right? It's an intangible Or benefit. introduce someone to someone else. Exactly. Adam Perry said that recently. He was like, if I got paid for every time I introduced someone to someone, I'd be a millionaire. Well, it's uh, second order consequences. This is what people don't understand. I'll give, an, uh, I'll give an example, actually. So today, I had a meeting earlier on with someone um, who introduced me to someone else who I met at a mastermind event two, three weeks ago. Mm. And now this other guy is super well connected, is very aligned with what I do, and then is gonna introduce me to other doors. And it's like the second order consequence of me going to the event, meeting this other person who meets me to this person, mm -hmm. can then completely change my life. And I think this is where so many people don't have this perspective of like, what do I have to lose? Just go and do it, rather than like, no, I can't be asked to waste an hour. And like, part of me did down this morning, is like, I can't be fucking asked. And I was like, just, like I obviously went and I did the right thing to do, but that's all like small minded part of your brain being like, Oh, like what's the point of this? Like it's going to be a waste of time, but like your success in life is going to come from the people you meet mm -hmm. and the more hands you shake, the more money you make. So like you and the connections you have is one of the most powerful things you're going to have to compound for you, which is as you get older, it gets easier because you should know more people have more net network and more of a reputation. Think if you could add scale to that. Mm. So you met that person, you were at a mastermind. It's a lot of manual labor, mm. right? You had to go there. Da, 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 da. Imagine if you could put that on steroids, which is what the internet is. So if we're able to meet online or like this, record a piece of content, and then someone's like, oh, I know Charlie, I know Darren. And that piece comes together at scale. That's the snowball effect, right? And I met Sahal Bloom recently. He's a fantastic guy. And 
he runs a portfolio company. So he has like nine companies under his holding company. And I was like, how do you do it? And he was like, it's not that I run nine companies. I figured out what my unfair advantage is. And then I lean into that for asymmetrical returns. So for him, let's say it's content. He writes, he's a great writer, he's a great speaker, he's great at everything. But he puts out content and he grows all of his businesses asymmetrically because that's his zone of genius. He gets up, he writes, he speaks, he records, he releases. And it's like, hmm, he figured that out. And now at 33, 34, he's making 10 million a year. Interesting. Whereas he may in the past, before the social media space, had to go knocking on doors or ringing calls. I interviewed David Meltzer recently, and he told me he's one of the youngest millionaires back in like the 70s and 80s. And he said that he was sitting at pay phones with nickels, putting them in, ringing people in the lashing rain during like... Um, during the wet season or whatever it was in, in America. And he's ringing like, a, he said he was ringing like 200 people a day, cold calling on a payphone. And I was like, why? And he was like, because I had no other option. And I had no other option. What so, was he selling? Uh, um, it was a medical, medical okay. device sales, or something, something like this. So basically, as time goes on, the tools get better and accessibility get better. And we can never replace like masterminds and the, the feeling of being in person is incredible. However, you have to leverage the tools around there. People often ask me, should they just record in person or should they record remotely? I'm like, do both, right? You see people like Chris Williamson, mm. he'll record in person. He'll also record twice as much remote. And there's like a stigma around re- recording online, uh, which I don't really kind of agree with because I think that if you have a nice setup and we have a good microphone and good camera and so on and so forth, you can get to huge scale. Some of my biggest episodes of all time have been remote podcasts. So it's hilarious, right? And me as a nerd for podcasting might think, well, it needs to be in here and there needs to be lighting. But at the end of the day, your listeners, your customers, your viewers don't really give a fuck. They just want to hear something that solves their problem. I think this is a big issue, right? It's like, we're creating content. Ideally, we're looking to solve someone's problem continuously. A big, I guess, kind of issue I have sometimes with podcasting is that they're, they're a bit about everything. Some relationship stuff, some business stuff, some like life design stuff, and they're just kind of about everything. But if we hopped on today and recorded one specific topic, one specific area that we know then that people that listen will solve that one problem, then one, they're going to be a happy listener. They're going to leave reviews. They're going to engage with you. And also, you're going to have better content. And it's just being more intentional, right? You see the, to- the guys at the top, there's something about it. You know, Sean Cannell? Yeah. Yeah, so I went through Sean Cannell's courses and really went deep on his, on his work and everything. And at the end of the day, if you're Mr. Beast or someone starting out, it's the same principle. You go into your video with one big specific idea. You think about how that breaks into some hooks. You think about how that feeds into the main episode or the main content. And then you think about how that feeds into other parts of your content, your business. And the reason for that is because we're not trying to record one podcast here and then we're done forever. We basically want to build a tribe, a really deep tribe that fuck with us basically. So they will go and listen to other podcasts. They will go and interact with us. So we want to record several podcasts together and come back over the course Mm. of a couple of years and build strong relationships. And I think again, it's a long side versus short side. Everyone's in the short side, right? And if you really tried to juice that down, it goes into having like long-term thinking. Like you've recorded 400 episodes. I've recorded 200. I've produced 500 in a year. <laughs> and it's about how can we do this for a decade versus how can we do this for an hour? Mm. I think that's where 
mankind now has attention span shorter than a goldfish. So the problem mm. is of like trying to get people to actually do something like an hour long podcast consistently when they're not seeing the result here and now is a very difficult thing for people to understand. Mm. But I still get people who um, we engage with who come to us as clients who watch a video of me on YouTube with Dorian Yates from five, six years ago. So awesome. like, so like that piece of content is like compounding for me still that I spent an hour on fucking five years ago. But that's the beauty of it, right? Mm. It's an asset. It's amazing, right? And this is why I always compare like organic versus paid, right? So traffic from ads and so on and so forth, even for your business. It's like earned, right? Of course it works, no doubt about that. But if you can get really good at producing organic content that's semi-automated, uh, put on a scheduler, you build it this really mm. deep content system, that has dividends to you forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever. It's going to keep on compounding. And you will find this as well. Like if you look back at your analytics and you see like a good day on your analytics, a lot of the content comes from Dory Nate's video five mm. years ago. It's older stuff, right? Because we think it's done, it's one and done, but it's not. It's the opposite. And that's why I love YouTube. We talked about this earlier, right? Podcasting is tough. It's a, it's a tough grind. But YouTube is the gift that keeps on giving. Like they just nailed it. They have videos from five years ago that pop up on your feed and it's perfect, right? Whereas Instagram, TikTok, even LinkedIn, Twitter, 72 hours later, it's over. It's just gone forever. That's uh, very much what we're pushing into this. And interesting you say that, because I looked at some of my YouTube analytics, my fitness channel uh, earlier on, and I think out of the top five videos, I think the top four performing in the last 28 days were like three, four years plus old. And they were like really shitty made. I'd edited them. <laughs> like I have no skills. But they were still getting like like thousands, thousands of views a month mm -hmm. of some like shitty video I made. Um, so people are still watching it, which is interesting because it shows the compound effect. And also this is why I love long form content is actually when I'm dead, people will still be watching this stuff. So 100%. you're actually leaving like an online legacy that your future children and grandchildren can actually go back and call like, that was my dad, Charlie. That was my granddad, Charlie, when he was 25, when he was 35, when it's he was 40. impact player, right? Yeah. So just on the old videos, I would love for you, right, to get a trackable link and fuck them into that those videos and check over the course of next year how many clicks you get. I guarantee you, you could convert users. You could create a specific link and just test it. Five in trying to pull them to the podcast? Uh, let's say you're selling something. Let's yeah. say if it's like a VSL or a landing mm. page. If you get a specific link from Bitly or whatever and use that as a trackable link, I'll be very interested to know in a year's time how much people... And you put that in the in the video or in the comments? In the comments. In the yeah. description, description yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So put it at the top yeah. description, right? So years later, mm. you had no intentions, put something else yeah, that's, that's related idea. to it and see the value in it because, again, people are not thinking about this, right? And my One of my mentors grew like a $50 million fintech company and he was like, the conversations you have today are going to be money earned in a year from now. I love that, right? Because we all think about these sales calls or these ads that if it don't if it doesn't work, they're a lead or they're dead mm. and all this kind of stuff. But it's it's a long term effect. Now that's tough if someone's paying you, of course, to like you know grow their social media, and we feel we face some pressure on that sometimes. But for the most part, like if you can set expectations that it's going to be a long term effect, that's amazing. Now the second part for you that you mentioned about um, your legacy, you look at Iman's, right? Mm. You can share him back to when he was seventeen on on YouTube. 100% intentional. He created that. And as a result, as time gone on, people can reflect back. You can see my podcast from four years ago. I was a kid. My hair was as short as yours. And I was I was a baby, right? And I love that because I can see that I was effectively a dumbass. I look back on this in four years' time and think I was also a dumbass at that point. But that's part of the evolution. 
if anything, I wish I put out more content. And you know how difficult it is with pod- mm. podcasting. It's hard to show your own values sometimes when you're when you're the host. So it's just an interesting observation. And what I like to kind of realize with this too is that, you know, sometimes people say to me like, oh, how much of your clients come from your podcast versus, you know, other means that you write on like LinkedIn or sales or whatever. And I'm like, it's not necessarily about how much clients came from listening to my podcast. But when I speak to someone before we get on a call, they will check me out. And the first thing that comes up on YouTube is 600 videos. <laughs> and they can click through, mm. scroll through, 10 seconds. They will barely look five seconds, but they'll do two things. They'll be like, this guy's not a robot. Two, he's not full of shit. And three, he's actually done the craft. And he's been doing this a while. And he, he's basically like ridiculously borderline addicted to what he's doing. So we can kind of trust him. So I get on a call and I don't get any question of who I am or what I do. And it's not like I'm famous. It's just that they can clearly see like a timestamp. Okay, he's done this in this period of time. He has his business and now this is happening and that's fine. And it's that social proof, right? Because we need to have like an, as- like an asymmetrical like form of communication. There needs to be a way for them to be able to interact with you, for you to interact with them. Uh, it's like dating, right? If you're back, back in the day on like dating apps, you can see clearly who's a catfish because they don't have a profile and they don't have detail. It just happens to level up from that period of time now, right? And it's the same in the business world. Do you think there'll be such a thing as AI podcasting? Hmm. It's a good question. Like, I think... The responses, yeah, because you know if I can. So right now there's these AI chatbots. So if you have a coaching business, and you also got AI voice. So like there's a system called Eleven Labs for anyone listening. Like I could type in like, "Hey Charlie, how are you? Would you like to join Seven Figures Gaming Systems?" And it'll send us a voice note as of me. Hundred percent, right? And there's like landing pages now Mm. doing something like that. And for sure, what could happen is you could come in here, and then someone could ask you like an AI Mm. bot could ask you a question like, "Oh, tell me about your business," and then you would respond, "Yes." But it kind of defeats the purpose, right? I worked in large tech companies before I went off the building business. And it is crazy the amount of support issues we'd have around chatbots. Because people would just be like, I want to speak to a fucking human. I want to solve my problem. Can you just talk to me versus this random chatbot? It's like, hey, we will be with you in a minute, right? So there's a bit of like, I guess like agony, a bit of pain that's not being solved by that. And of course, like AI will get better. Voice recognition gets better and so on. But you got to think about the use case. I'm not listening to you or to me right now for the purpose of like solving all of my problems in my life. That's what I'd go to Google for. Mm. I'd find out a specific problem. But here is the story and it's a journey, right? And we're trying to get more involved with you and my journey and so on and so forth. So it's kind of like, what is that use case? It's like when you see those AI like girlfriends on, on Instagram, right? You see like AI like chicks on Instagram. It's like, okay, that's there and they get like likes, but it's like that defeats the entire purpose of Instagram because it's not sharing stories anymore. So I think what's going to happen is there'll be like a wave of this stuff. We'll see like tools being released and it's going to be kind of like Web 3.0 whereby people are like, oh yeah, that's cool, but I don't really want to use it and it's just kind of going to fade out, but there will be some winners in the end. There's always some winners, right? There'll be some decent products built that will help people around AI, around podcasting, but we need to go back to not to go back to, but we need to realign with like human connection and being able to really, really dial in to interact with one another because that's what people are most want, right? We have most men that have ever been lonely in their life. Suicide rate for men has been the highest ever been. And one of the reasons why is a lost connections. I interviewed a Johan Harry and he describes in lost connection and stolen focus that with social media and everything, people feel more disconnected than ever. And this is pretty aware now, right? So, 
with this type of communication, we're trying to bring that back. We're not trying to move that away, right? We can leave like AI and automation to business operations, sales automations, marketing operations. But when people are coming into here, we're coming for human connection. And I think COVID really pushed that forward in terms of people wanting more human connection because mm-hmm. that was taken away for a period of time and it's now been given back. One of the things you mentioned there was storytelling. How do you think people should storytell with their social media or even with their podcast and their personal brand? One of my best friends, his name is Tim Stoddard, he, uh, he was a metadrone addict when he was younger. And uh, he overcame addiction. God knows how he did it. And now he's built like a huge agency. He's one of the biggest SEO agencies in America. He's an incredibly successful guy. And he says, you should always be sharing your experiences, not your advice. Because your experiences is, you can't mess with it. He has experience, he was an addict, he overcame it, he did a few things to overcome it, and now he's better. That's his experience. It's not his advice telling you what to do. So he shares his genuine experiences, the struggles, the opportunities, the challenges, and he charts that through. And then he brings us through his writing, and it's helped tens of thousands of people. He built a company called Sober Nation, which is like one of the biggest, um, I guess, like sobering communities around like alcohol and drugs. And that was not based on telling you what to do. It was based on experiences. So I think that's where people get into a lot of these problems with content because they get on short form and they're like, you should do this. Mm. You should do these these tips and tricks where it's like, no, we should share what worked for me, how I've been someone who was down here and now I've changed and this is what I've done. It can be anecdotal. And if you have better anecdotal is case studies, is experiences, it's social proof. So you can start, if you're someone starting, you can start with your own personal experiences. So I'll give you an example for me. Kickoff Sessions, my podcast, started in my bedroom in Dublin with a $60 microphone with a money back guarantee from Amazon because I genuinely believed that I was going to give back the, the microphone to Amazon. But over time, it got better and better and better. And I just stuck through the shit. And it was ups and downs, no downloads, some downloads. And then we started finding our rhythm and our pattern and it was awful. I stayed up so late, got up so early every single week for years. And then we broke through. And that's my experience. I'm not telling you how to do it. Now with all these processes, we can do everything different. But that's, I think, where everyone falls down on because they they lean into the guru mindset. And when you go from student to guru, it's when everything changes, right? Mm-hmm. When, you, when you're a person who is the authority, there's very few people that know all the answers, right? And I'm always a student as a result. Well, I think it's that moment that as soon as you think you know everything, you know nothing. And that's yeah. why I think the people who know the most are always the ones constantly trying to learn. Mm. Because the people with ego are the ones who fall flat on their face. They see like short-term success, but yeah. there's not many people who can prolong it over a long period of time because of the way they act with that. So that's, that's huge, right? absolutely huge. I think... I think I understand a little bit why the ego comes in because a lot of people, they want to be seen as an authority. So we go back to authority and experience. When you have the experience, you want to be seen as an authority figure and they think the only way to get like, I guess like status or influence is to be the authority, to say, this is how you do it. This is how you send emails. This is how you do sales. This is how you do marketing. And they try to set up that, not necessarily facade, but they do believe that that's like how you do it. But because of that, they've got rid of the student mindset they're no longer a lifelong learner and they're like, okay, I'm entrenched with this. And, you know, we see a lot of good young guys even in Dubai that build huge businesses and they rise and they fall. And it's just a framing situation. Now, it's good to know what you know and to be like, all right, after seven years in the trenches, I know this about building X. But you do need to have that forward side saying, okay, we want to go this place. It could be even uh, personal, you know, internally, how can we get better? Right? It doesn't have to be necessarily in a business, right? So I see it a lot 
you often probably seen a lot too, right? Because you've been in the arena for quite some time. Why do you think some people rise and some people stay there and some people fall? Complacency. So without starting with the end in mind, they get to the first milestone and they give up. So this is one of my kind of issues with Twitter is the fact that people are like, oh, I'm at 10K a month. And I could say, I'm at 10K a month. And then now they teach you how to make 10K a month. But if you're limited to that mindset, you're never going to push on. And I think putting a number on it is the worst thing you could possibly do. They get to 25K, 50K, 100K, and they identify as that like number. And then that's their self-worth. It's their self-worth, right? And like, you know, wealth is in the mind. It's not in your bank account. And if you think like how much money in the bank account contributes to who you are as an individual, you're a lunatic, right? Because at the end of the day, you don't even own the money. It's in the bank, right? Someone else has it. So people attach the wrong mindset to it and they get that, I guess, kick. Now, as you've probably seen yourself, it's probably not that hard to get to 10K, 20K, 30K a month. So when they when that kicks in, they get the social validation for people beneath them whereas they don't have people ahead of them to push it on. I was interviewing William Brown yesterday. He made 16 million in a couple of years, and I was just like, oh my God, I'm so far behind. But that was great, because it made me hungry, hungry, you know, and it gave me that ambition. So it's not having one an end in mind and two another goal going forward. And it's like, a, it reminds me very much of like a physique. When people get in really good shape and they get very lean, what do they usually do? They usually binge. And one of the main reasons why is because they hit the goal and there's no other goals whereas I've been working with a coach for many years and we put a reverse diet structure in place before we even get to the end of the goal because we're always thinking what's What's next next? what's next right because if you don't know what's next well then you know you get fit and you're just partying and that's when you fall off and I think um like we've done nearly $10 million in sales in our fitness business. And I did a podcast with Eric Spoffer, which everyone should listen to, it's very good. And he said before me in passing, like the day before he made 175 grand from an online business and no one knows he even has. And I was like, fuck, I was like, you motherfucker. So I was like, I was like, I need to work harder. I was like, but that's what you need because it raises a bar of expectations. So in my 100%. head, I'm like, okay, well if he can do it, then I can fucking do it. Exactly, but it's also understanding why you want to do it, mm. right? And then it goes to a deeper level. So. I mentioned I was interviewing Luke Bamar recently and my friend Tom was there and Luke said he was making 120k a day. So every single day he opens people into his capital club and he makes 120k a day. My friend Tom afterwards said like, you know, like, how is that possible? Like, as in, I could never get to that stage. He was kind of saying intuitively. And I was like, yes, but you have to see what he's done to get to that point. It's been eight years in the trenches. story he's got. Exactly, right? So people buy into the narrative. Of course, right? And like this is why he has 500,000 people on the, on the demand side and zero on the supply side. He has zero spots available. And that's part of the journey, but you have to know what end in mind is. But also for him and for a lot of very wealthy people, actually not a lot, but some, they kind of detach from the numbers. And now they look at a more of a holistic view and looking at all the different kind of variables within within your life, right? It's not just the numbers on the screen. And I think that's where people lead down a path of degeneracy because they're following that down. And you've probably experienced mm. that too, right? Is that like numbers on the screen? Okay. You, you're trying to fill an unfillable tank of happiness mm-hmm. with something that can never be filled. Because it's you're, you're chasing a metric that's like to the moon because it's like infinity. But all the answers are inside you, mm. right? And that seems a bit woo-woo, but the more inner work you do, the more your business grows, mm. number one, because well, you realize you know nothing. Well, it's all a, a personal <laughs> development thing that's holding you back, right? Because if you Everything. could make $10 million a year, you really would. It's just you don't have the skills, you're not the right person yet to do that. So Who said that? I don't know. John yeah. Johnson 
January 30th, 2024. Yeah. But um, <laughs> the, the goal is that you have to fill in that gap and yeah. that's when you start to make the money you want or you get the success you want because you become that person. 100%. Whereas most people want the money and they want the success, but they don't want to do the work to become the person. 100%. They don't want to do the shitty stuff, getting up hard in the early morning, trying to learn the skills, invest in mentors, all this type of stuff. And, and investing is a big mm. point, right? I think that comes back to the scarcity mindset and like the complacency you have for yourself. So I spoke to Will about this yesterday and I was saying, why do you think a lot of these people don't get stuck in like 30, 40K a month? Now that's a lot of money to a lot mm. of people, but people really get stuck in that range. And it's because with that money, they don't learn the skills to make 100K a month or 200K a month or 300K a month. And this is stuff that I'm even like kind of struggling with too mentally a lot of time. But the problem is they get comfortable. They get comfortable, but I think one of, the log one of the reasons why is because they think, well, if I invest this money, then it's gone and now I may not have the skills to go further. But you have to build a podcast, a business, a brand around fundamentals, not tricks and hacks. Everyone is looking for the trick and hack, the click funnels, the quick ad, the gimmicky stuff, but it all goes back to the fundamentals. So if you can learn like how to write, how to sell, how to present yourself, how to interact with people, how to figure out actual problems, how to understand people's current state, future state, and map all of that out. You can create the best content in the world, the best podcast in the world, you can create the best business in the world because you understand people's motives. And if you can understand how to make people thick and how to make people move, you can move the world. You can literally move the world at that point. The problem is most people view the way they deal with people or try and sell people is on uh, benefits and features where as human beings, we aren't designed to work on benefits and features. We, we work on emotions. So if you 100%. understand what people's fundamental emotional needs are and you have a way to fulfill that, mm -hmm. then they'll buy from you, they'll follow you, they'll listen to you, and they'll become part of your tribe. Whereas too many people try to talk about the benefits and features of listening to this podcast or follow me or whatever, mm -hmm. rather than how you're emotionally going to fulfill the void that that person has in their life. Like, as we said, filling more money in that doesn't necessarily cause success for people. It's other things that people really want, not just the money, which is a byproduct. Have you read uh, Gap Selling? Yeah, yeah, that's very good. Fucking book. excellent. I'm meeting Keenan soon for a podcast and he changed my entire view on sales because I used to think sales was getting on this call, shilling loads of benefits, shilling the features mm -hmm. and then uh, like convincing that person to buy from me. A haggle. Exactly. Where it was like, and to be honest, it worked sometimes because I, I would be able to present myself kind of well and be like, okay, this is what we can do for you. Even though they're like, I want A and I'm like, I'll give you B, right? Mm. Whereas he can, he literally got into my brain and convinced me that let's just have a conversation. Let's find out someone's current state, find out the numbers, how are they doing in their business, in their podcast, in their life? Where are they? What's the impact it's having? What's the problem that they're facing? What's the future state? Where, where do they want to go? in their business, in their life, and even personally. And you would be amazed to see what you could do when you find out someone's true um, true desires. And I'll give you an example that from a, a, few, uh, a current client of us, actually a fantastic guy. He was telling me that he wants to build this podcast and build this brand around his company. The company's huge, very big company. We had all these uh, targets about what markets are hitting, how we're going to hit penetrate the market, how we're going to even change like the voice to make sure it hits the right country because we're going to different markets. And then we started getting a bit further on. He's like, well, you know, I really want to write a book. Oh, so that's why you're doing this. So that's like a five-year plan. I want to get into executive coaching. Uh, I, I see. So he had a five to 10-year plan. And I was like, what if we could do it in two years? You know, what if you can achieve your 10-year goal in one year? right? And not selling the dream, but just kind of walking through that process. And if I didn't truly understand what his desires were, one, we wouldn't have worked together. And two, I wouldn't have been able to help him. 
And what's beautiful about this is the fact that I can go into any sales call and be super chill because at the end of the call, I can say, I can either help you or one of my friends in my network can help you because I have a bunch of content friends and they can probably help you do something. And that's a beautiful thing because you're no longer learning sales, you're just learning people. It's uh, fulfilling other humans' needs. 100%, right? And my very good mate beforehand was chatting about a few people and so on. He was like, the ordinary person is saying that the market is uh, in a shit show right now. It's a calamity, it's a catastrophe and everything. I'm like, the ordinary person doesn't have the skills. They don't have, they don't know how to operate in an environment. So when VC money was flowing, people were buying programs, people were buying everything. Sure, it's easy to sell shit, but when times are a little bit tougher, it goes back to the fundamentals. And that's why you, I could put you anywhere mm. and you're going to succeed. I could put you anywhere. I could give you any product you could sell it because you learned the skills. And that's where I think the way I think a lot of people need to understand is I talk a lot about people's operating system needs to be upgraded. And where I'd explain that is say if I give you uh, Microsoft Word for a, um, a Windows computer and you try and put on an Apple computer, it's not going to work, right? Mm. So a lot of people, like, they try and learn skills, but their operating system's fundamentally fucked. So they need to actually develop, like, some of the harder internal skills in terms of, like, discipline, determination, like, the resilience, for particularly for an entrepreneur, shit goes wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. So, like, these will underpin all the other, like, skills that sit on top of it. And if you don't have that, like, mm. the burning desire to be successful you can be the greatest fucking salesman in the world, but if you can't be committed to turn up every day and do it, then you're not going to be successful. And it's like you mentioned about people who they rise and they drop off. It's because their operating system, their mindset's not in the right place so they can stay at that peak performance level. And for me, it's like, I want to keep going up and stay at like in that upward trajectory, not shoot up and then shoot down. 100%. And I'll give you a personal experience of that. So I remember, so we run a service business to keep it simple. Cash flow positive, great margins. And we were, when I started out, we kind of got up to like, let's say 20K a month. And we were just there for ages. And I was banging my head off the table, doing outreach, getting on these calls, closing, nodding. We were there for we were there for a long time. I would say about four months. And I was like, maybe it's me is the problem. Maybe it's not my business. Maybe it's not my offer. I'm good at writing. I'm good at speaking. I'm good at marketing. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's the internal work. And I was like, okay, let's look at how I approach things. I was quite anxious. I was rushing. I was, he- I was, I was just wasn't really dialed in mentally. And the more I started to work on that, and just this can be very small changes. That's what made the biggest impact. And I became to slow down. I became to be more relaxed. I became to approach things from a first principle basis and much more logical. And then our business kind of transformed over the course of the last couple of years, right? Um, I think that was really a nice kind of stage because now, even many years later from starting a podcast, I am now at the same point where I'm like, hmm, to get to the next stage, I need to do the work again, right? Um, and I think every man's bookshelf should be a combination of like tactics and then like history and philosophy. Right, so you will if you see my bookshelf, it's like hardcore sales, it's like writing, it's storytelling, it's marketing, and then you'll have like some random book on like Chinese history and art of war, literally, right? And it's an equivalent of that, and a few other ones as well. And I would I read a lot of like uh, Napoleon and so mm. on, and looking at how that operates, I'm like, hmm, interesting. So he rose up, was completely against his people, he hid inside his castle, and the whole place collapsed. I wonder where that's happened over and over and over and over again. Ego getting someone, right? And you just to look at the future, to understand the future, you just have to look at the past, right? Well, yeah, it's the, 
success and failure leaves clues. So it's like, it's interesting, I don't know if you've seen the Napoleon film, but I watched that and I took so many lessons of like, like excellent leadership from it and then also huge ego when like mm. he wouldn't let um, his pride be hurt and wanted to keep going, which ultimately which led to his downfall. And I think sometimes quitting is a good thing in certain scenarios, mm -hmm. but I think we have cognitive bias too, too much sometimes that say if you're CEO of a business and you're like, we're doing this and you've started it and you're three months down the road and it's still not working, like everyone's like, this isn't a good idea. But you're like, we're still fucking going yeah. because you're like, this is your baby. You're not willing to be wrong. And I think the people are the most successful, the ones who are willing to admit they often make a lot of mistakes. 100%. And if you look at business as well, it's like, it's okay to be wrong nine out of 10 times because the 10th time can be like, one home run that's equivalent of hitting a thousand home runs because mm. of the amount of leverage you can get at businesses. What's interesting there too is like survivorship bias. Mm. So we historically look at like the entrepreneurs who remortgaged their house and they won. We look at people who change their company culture and it worked out, but we don't see the people who remortgaged their house and it fell apart. We don't see all those like negative consequences because as you said, business is like multifactorial. The results you get for one person could be completely different for the next. I remember watching a Charlie Morgan video on that, of being like, the goal is to get results for everyone asymmetrically. If you can get seven out of 10 results for 150 mm. clients, that's what's going to build a huge business and a fantastic like machine versus up, down, up, down, up, mm. down. And that's where most people are kind of residing in their brain, right? Because they will attach their own values to the one or two successes that they had. And that's why this is tough. And that's why, like, in the percentages around businesses is crazy, right? Here it's mm. it's delusional, but it's 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 amazing that it's mm. delusional, right? Because we see we see the best of the best mm. here, right? Which is very interesting. But I wonder how much people have been washed out. Uh, a lot, and I think that also though it warps your perspective a little bit when you live in somewhere in Dubai, like Dubai, because everyone you all, all my friends are like anyone close to is probably a millionaire. Anyone who's my friend is an entrepreneur. I don't know anyone who has a job. <laughs> like I actually don't have a friend who has a job. <laughs> And actually, I remember, this is a really good story. This is a true story. I went to uh, my girlfriend's friend's baby shower, some bullshit, right? And um, I remember some guy, I uh, got introduced to some guy, he started talking to me, and he started trying to give it Billy Big Balls that he got promoted and he had some job and whatever. And I was like, Charlie was just looking, like my girlfriend's called Charlie. She looked at me and was just like smiling and just laughing. And I didn't say anything, but you know, and you're like, yeah. it, like that was the exact bullshit that I escaped because like the perspective of what success is is very... Um, depend upon the environment of what you're exposed to, right? So when your five best friends are all multimillionaires, that's the minimum bar standard. But if your five best friends are all like, I want to be an assistant account manager at an insurance company, yeah. that's the standard. So define your standard. It's conditioning. Mm. Um, and I have many stories around that. So I came from a finance and consulting background. And the problem that I had in that world was the fact that no matter how fast you want to move or how great you are, you're capped because the system. Same as mine on stage. Right, exact same system. I was 22 years old managing a $1 million budget on a massive consulting project. I was 22. And um, at the end of it, it went really well. And I was like, all right, let's get super promoted, whatever. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. You sit down there. You're not moving well, for They pigeonhole you. They just want to stay in the box because you're a cock in the machine. Of course, right? And then that was part of the unwinding process. And I was able to clearly look at that, see it was an absolute, like, absolute scam, and then look at the other opportunities. And everyone that you've met as well, right? They would probably go back to making 5K a month on their own versus mm. going back to that mm. life, right? Because... You, you, it's earned, right? And Dan Coe says, if you don't have a plan, you'll be assigned a plan. And that's unfortunately the truth of the UK right. and the Ireland, and Ireland, right? Well, it's the beauty of entrepreneurship is you 
live by the sword, you die by the sword, right? 100%. So as long as you're willing to like wield the sword and have a go and keep swinging, then mm. you're still in the game. But I think too many people aren't are too afraid to pick up the sword in the first place to start. But also, like failure isn't even a thing. Like if you think about like humans, like, and go really well, deep. You fail when you die. That's the end. Exactly. Right. And also, if you want to put a term on like like failure, it's only when you give up, right? So if you quit and you leave the arena, like you can put a term on it. But for the most part, like it actually doesn't exist. It's not even a real thing. If you look at like throughout like all centuries no other mammals look at something and mm. say that's a failure that's a success right and even if you were to look at the flip side of failure in terms of what success is i wouldn't walk down the path and say successful successful non-successful mm. it's arbitrary and this is why wealth is a mindset it's multifactorial it's not about how much money's in the bank account it's how good your relationships are it's how good your mindset is it's how good your physique is how good your health is and having that attachment is an awful way to look at it. But again, it comes back to school. 40% was a pass, 39% was a fail. And that's social conditioning. Like, those actual terms aren't even real. They're just things that just were made up. They're literally made up to put you in a box. Well, that's what I think is interesting. I heard Stephen Bartlett talk about it, about um, the definition of happiness is when you basically meet the standards you expect for yourself, which mm. I think is sometimes something I struggle with and a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. It's my standards are so high that I can never fucking catch them because by the time I start to get like within 10%, the bar's like running away, which I think is why being highly driven is um, a gift and a superpower, but it's also a poison to control because you need to understand uh, perspective of where you've come from, which is why I even did it say, I, I look back through financial figures in terms of like how revenues increase over a period of time to be mm -hmm. like, yeah, this month seems really shit, but it's actually better than last month. And it's like, oh, second best month in history. So it's like, it's probably not that bad. Mm. And that, that's where like your brain will tell you the lie that you want to tell and where you can use um, your conscious mind to fix the problem by looking at like, like in a business aspect, logical math will yeah. always give you the answer, right? Of course, right. And I think it's the factors beyond the business. So you mentioned you have a partner. Mm. I imagine, is she different than you or quite similar? Yeah, very different. That's the thing, right? It's the yin and yang, same as my partner. Like, she was a yoga teacher, right? Mm. It just shows you she's just like chill, she's relaxed. So having that balance is, it doesn't slow me down. Mm. It, it just evens me out. Mm. Because when you're going at a thousand miles an hour, it puts things into perspective. And that's what's important, right? And this is why you can go down the degeneracy path and just looking at random figures because you don't have a way to calm it down. And I was speaking to a client this morning, would you believe? And the woman mentioned me, she was like, oh, you're in Dubai. Like, you, you know, you go into like beach clubs and yachts and stuff. And I was like, nope, I'm just working. And then I was like, I don't really feel the urge to mm. it. And she, she said to me, it's because like you have peace. Mm. You know, you have your partner. You don't necessarily have that desire. We're not seeking external validation. Exactly. Um, and all the times that I've been in Dubai, I've done nothing. I've literally done nothing. I've spent most time in a studio. I get my meal prep coming in. I barely meet people because we're just back to back with podcasts. And I, I like being here, but I never, I've never actually been out because I'm not seeking it. How do you think entrepreneurs get out of that phase of external validation? Because obviously I imagine a lot of people coming to you who want to have a podcast, want status maybe for external validation. And do you see that in clients when they come to you? 100%, 100%. So bringing it back to the podcast. So have you ever read Cash Advertising? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Cash Advertising brings back to the seven core principles and like uh, status is one of them, mm. status and relationships. So I would say podcasting and content is a status thing. And revenue and money is a byproduct it's not one of the core seven it's like a secondary seven and so people don't do things for money they do things for comfort and status and so on so it's about setting those kind of guardrails and expectations be like okay 
we're doing this to help people and i often say that my podcast has always been there to serve other people it hasn't been there to serve me which is why we've been able to build a very predictable business because for the most part people don't look at me thinking he's trying to get something on the internet i'm just putting out all this content i don't even i don't even have an offer for my, my listeners so i'm just doing this because one i really enjoy it and two it helps a lot of people it's an impact play so i think it's switching that mindset it's a reframe it's like getting into business right people get into business for the wrong reasons but as you become more successful and you do the internal work you should realize that that's not the whole point right it's like the game it's the inner game the infinite game is mm. how i describe it and who can play the infinite game can keep on going forever so i think like how you can kind of break that through is sometimes you just got to go through it so when i was younger like you know i was partying i was going out and it's a bit of a degenerate when i go through that i'm finished that now it's like over <laughs> i'm i'm happy it's out of right? your system right it's like out of my system so i think some people may need to go through it to realize that okay when i rent the lambo i don't necessarily like it i don't necessarily want it i don't need to pay the, pay the 200k for it and it's kind of like what a podcast too it's like okay people are enjoying it but i'm not fully getting the status effect so let's maybe just see do i want to keep on doing this for myself and also there's nothing wrong with doing it and giving up you mentioned that earlier right mm. i think having a logical view that like 20 episodes in are you enjoying it are you getting better is it fulfilling you if it is okay let's keep going if it's not do something else you know but i think that's the way life should be anyway i think even uh, a lot of the entrepreneurs i work with in their businesses not going to use the word stupid but can't think for themselves critically in terms of like they're doing a lot of shit they shouldn't be doing they don't want to do mm. and like, I literally said to them I was like I did like would Charlie do that if the answer is no then like don't be doing it like just mm. stupid shit like too many people focus on um, stuff in their business and in life that's on like maintenance and not like in a rowing analogy making the boat go faster yeah. the more you can focus on the growth aspect, which is probably the things you enjoy more mm. rather than like the maintenance tasks, the more fulfilled you'll be and the more successful. It's two ways to look at it. It's like, well, I think the, the one main, main one is like, if it doesn't matter in like a month, it doesn't matter today, mm. right? So if you're working on something in your business and it's like, okay, this is like meaningless. It happens a lot, right? It's like, it doesn't matter in a month, just don't worry about it, just forget about it. And then the second thing then is like, basically not having like a long-term view. People are just very focused on the short term. So in their business, it's just like, it's just not necessarily effective. So as a result, that's when they spin their wheels, mm. they're going backwards, and they're not looking to like replace themselves. And it even comes into content. You were editing your podcast mm. before, now you don't do it anymore. And I think people, too, too scared, scarcity mindset, they're not willing to detach and pull themselves out mm. and let the pros do it, right? We have a very good team, a very good content team. The guys are 10 times better than I could ever be at editing, creating content. So leave them do it, leave them at it. Well, that's why if you focus on your zone of genius, that's when you can actually be the genius mm -hmm. rather than like the busy fool. What would you say that is for you? That's a great question. Um, marketing and sales. Mm. Actually, probably not even sales, marketing. In what way? In terms of strategically seeing gaps in the market and then doing something that's working better than anyone else, mm. which is why within... 18 months I built a fitness business mastermind that's more successful than anyone else from the UK and Ireland Fuck. because I did the thing in the fitness industry saw other people who were teaching the thing weren't actually very fucking good at it because they didn't know how to do it themselves mm. and then just fucking slip behind them and just like usurped them and I think that's where 
a lot you mentioned people who rise and fall the people who fall like the competitors I have is because they've rested on their laurels that maybe they've done it for a long time that they're going to be fucking top dog until the fucking wolf climbing the hill is hungrier than the wolf on the top of the hill I love that because people think like with years of experience they get better but you could hear someone has 20 years experience but they only have one Mm. (laughs) right they've actually not been putting in the work they've just been coasting and as a result the young guy comes up the 24 year old comes up and just blasts them and that's why competition is great right and but Peter Thiel said competitions for losers which I which I agree with like you have to work on yourself but to find that opportunity like there's no better way I, I think anyway in this kind of like online business space than to look at other businesses and then just be like let's just do that better that's how I've built both my businesses it was a whole idea but in my mind as well because it's you find proof of concept that works and like yep. Well, he's actually pretty shit at what he does. Like, I've done the thing he does. I'm much more like likable and more people will more resonate with me. I can, and I'm also going to outwork him and fucking trounce him. So, if I think I'm better than him anyway, I'm willing to put in more work than him. Um, I'm willing to th- like outsmart him in terms of the way the processes he thinks. There's no way I'm not going to fucking beat him. So, my background was in software engineering, mm. and the whole idea was like invent something, create an app, invent mm. something. I was creating a digital passport at one stage I tried to create. I was trying to get funding for it. Obviously, didn't get funding for it. I was creating a like a marketplace for salons yeah. and getting a haircut, which actually would have been a good idea during COVID, to be honest. And I was creating a bunch of these different ideas. And because I was putting a square peg through a circle hole, it was just awful. I was I was trying to like create a market to find product market fit. Whereas when I'd created a podcast for so many years... I was seeing that 90% of podcasts don't get to episode three, and then of that 10%, 90% don't get to 20. So I would meet other media owners or agency owners in the States, and they were like, yeah, we're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, and they hadn't a clue. They literally hadn't a clue. They were old media guys, mm. radio dudes, 40, 50 with gray hair. And I was like, huh, maybe we could do exactly that, but just don't be old and be young and be cool and make it sick. And we did that. And looking at their prices, we were able to charge way more and sign year-long contracts with massive companies. And they're like, we love that you're young and we love that you get a good vibe. And our head of uh, creative is like 19 years old. He's a lot more experienced than a lot of the 40-year-olds right, with social media. And that's the beauty of it, right? Because it's age is not important. It's about where you are in the journey. And I'll give you a true story. So when I, I was a estate agent before I came to Degenerate and did all this stuff. And I started that job at 21 at... By 23, I was manager of like Lettings Department. By 25, the like branch manager of the entire thing was making like maybe million million pounds a year, maybe. Um, and I was in charge of the whole thing at like 25. I was managing people who 20 years older than me. Oh my god! So like that that is where like is an interesting dynamics. This 25 year old kid who was like um, up short out of nowhere. Which like long story short, I actually tried to quit my first day because I like couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I like saw through the process because it's not easy at the beginning. But at 25, I was managing people 20, some I think nearly 30 years older than me. What? Which is a, an interesting, you can imagine they didn't like that, right? Yeah. And, but that's an interesting perspective. And that also leads into your argument, what's my zone of genius? I actually would correct that in terms of when it comes to seeing opportunities, my gift is team building because mm. my background was, uh, I didn't realize at the time, but I was getting paid to learn how to manage and scale teams. Mm. And then when you can see an opportunity and you can also build a team to go and have, like take advantage of the opportunity is when you can go really really fast that's exactly what i've been doing so when i was working nine to five and consulting and in finance i was building teams and i was running software teams and similar to you they're around 10 15 years older than me engineers and they were kind of they were happy with it whatever and i was running these teams 
So then when I went off to build my own brand and business, I always had people. And like even reading all these kind of like operation books, I was like, it kind of boggles my mind why people would be on their own all the time. And then you have like solopreneurs and they automate the whole stuff, whatever. But for me, it's always been with people. And whether it's an editor or a graphic designer or an operations manager, I've just always had people in me. And the beauty of that is because we're able to tell good stories and we're able to bring people along with the journey and give them something meaningful, right? We have an excellent team who guys, guys that see the vision, they see the path and we put that together. And that's more important than anything else, right? As you're scaling teams, as you're scaling a business, it's leadership. Mm. And it doesn't matter what age you, you are, it's you're going to be in charge of people, not with their tasks, but mainly with their personal desires. Mm. And if you ever go deep into that, which was very important for me, was like finding out what people are generally want and putting them on that path. So when I'm interviewing, I'll often say to someone, like, where do you want to be in like two or three years? And they'll be, like, they'll be like, oh, I still want to work with you. I'm like, no, 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 no. You want to be building your own shit and that's completely fine by me. I'm happy to teach you how things go and then like one or two years, like you can go off and build your own stuff and we put you up on the right path, right? And some people don't like that when they're hiring people. I'm like, that's the opposite. I'm looking for people that are hungry, that want to learn and I want to put them on that path because when shit hits the fan, which always happens in a business, especially a small business, I will always go back to those desires. Mm. It's like, hey, in a few years, this is going to be you. You're going to be running your own stuff you're going to have to deal with some of this as well. So like, let's let's put some time into this. Let's figure it out. Whereas if you're just hiring someone to save a bit of cash and just, you know, undermining them, then they're not going to be there when shit hits the fan, right? Well, that's what most people don't realize is it's a people game, right? Yeah. And it's the moving the chess pieces on the chessboard is how you win the war 100%. and not just the battle. And it's, most people don't see it like that and they try and make themselves like the king is the only move that they have they can move themselves mm. whereas if you've got an army of other people you can move around which is how you can then slipstream people and take overtake him and art of war goes back to the battle is one off the field mm. right it's, it's one negotiation mm. it's one understanding the land so i think that's why it's quite interesting i'm always about like being a little bit paranoid just worried 100%. about what's coming up you know a little bit anxious and i'm worried about the next me yeah of course right and i'm always worried about how things can change right it's like looking at ai is a really good example it's like most people are like oh it's not going to affect or it is going to affect but it's like what are the ramifications five years ten years from now and how can i position myself and how can i think around a corner and everything and there are answers that you can't there are questions that you can't answer which mean that you don't ever really relieve your anxiety around it, which is also a good thing because you're planning ahead. Well, it stops what you said earlier is the number of reasons people first complacency. Exactly. Because rightly or wrongly, I think for you to be very successful, you're going to be in a constant state of slight paranoia. Yeah. Because I, I always have been. I was very anxious when I first started as an entrepreneur. Mm. I'm now... Like people meet me like you're way wake up more calm than you used to be, and then my girlfriend's like you're so fucking stressed all the time. I was like you should see me three years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I was like this is different. This is fucking chill. Um, but that's the thing. The reality also is like as your skill levels rise, it's easier to deal with problems. But also, secondly, is like as your exposure to shit storms gets like larger, mm-hmm. it's just it's another fucking day. So it's problem. It's a problem solution continuum. Mm, well, that's second, life. Yeah. You secondly solve a problem, you have another problem, yeah. right? At first not making money sucks and then the next paying taxes suck. Yeah. It's just going to continuously move up. But that's part of the struggle. But what's nice about that is like, if you can fix the money problems, then like all the other problems exist. But if you are building from a position of, I don't need the money right now, you make better decisions. 
is way more logical. You're not going to do dumb shit. And I often just see a lot of people fall in that cracks. Even like with podcasting and content, they'll use it as a last resort mm. to save their business and brand. But that's where I also think a lot of people, particularly young guys, they create such a thirsty lifestyle for money that it's almost like a fucking giant snake that strangles them to death mm. because they can't then put the resources into their business mm. because they're trying to make quick cash all the time rather than look at like the long play of a compounding reputation of brand. Mm. Brand is interesting, right? Because it's something you can't control, right? At the end of the day, it's your customers, it's people, it's their perception of you that you put yourself out there and how you interact with people. Like, brand is completely fine when you are, everything's going fine, it's a Friday evening, and you're like, yeah, I'll take 15 minutes for that call, so on. But when shit hits the fan, that's what you're going to be known mm. for, is in those instances. And it's a very important value of me, is like how we interact with people and really, really solve their problems, not for today, but forever, right? Because you want to be a trusted advisor. You don't just want to be someone who just, mm. who's there to, take right if your whole purpose is to take 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 you're going to be f found out and the online space is rootless for that well i also think that the majority of people on the online space in particular in my industry teaching say people to grow their businesses are charlatans they're mm. teaching something that they've never done themselves so it's like have to do the work yeah so it's like the reality is you have to do the thing first like the highest level authority is the person who's done the thing and then mm -hmm. teaches the thing like I built one of the biggest fitness businesses in Europe and now teaching other people to do the same thing because yeah. so I understand the strategy and the tactics and also the mindset um, changes you need to go through as your evolution mm -hmm. and I think that's where like if you're listening to this right now and you're making 20k a month, you're like, oh, cool. If I get to 100, that'd be amazing. And you make 100, and then suddenly you make 80k a month again. You feel physically sick of making 80k a month. Mm. But if you said that 12 months ago, but that's the fucking best thing in the world. Mm. What do you think that is? I think for people who are driven, it's the fear of going backwards and the paranoia. Because if you go for, go one step, two steps forward, and you start to go one step back, the fear of going back into the matrix of the estate agent or software design or whatever. Mm. Like that I think is what makes people kick back into arse. But I think what's important is that that is a good thing to some degree if you utilize it in the right way mm. to like manifest the directions going forward you need to take. Hmm. It's interesting because like if your lifestyle doesn't increase the 80k a month in expenditure, it's fine mm. to some degree, right? Like I often say that so like living in Asia for many years, I've had places that I paid for like in cash, like a year or two down, like you have to do it sometimes. And because of that, it's actually like a burden off my chest. I'm like, if things blew up tomorrow, I'll be good for You'll like, live, yeah. yeah, I'll be good for like a year or two, right? I could figure it out. And I just kind of sometimes like use those as like anchors to be like, right, I'm building something that's valuable. And I know that there's a really good, like positive return on like impact it's going to have on people. So as a result, let's make the right decision. And let's do things that are the right decision. First is let's like buy something stupid, do something dumb, and as a result, have to build out of fear. Mm. And the whole idea in the beginning was to move from that period of whereby you were fearful of going back to the job and transition out of that. And then for everyone, the, the number is different, right? Mm. But it goes back to the inner work. You know, that's, it's a, your business is a reflection of you. 100%. To finish up, what would you say is the best thing you've done to focus on your own inner work and to put yourself in the right place so then you can maybe present yourself to the world as the person you want to be on a podcast or on YouTube or on social media? Eliminate all the other stuff. Like so what? 
I was like, you know, I was into like being in the best gyms to meet people in the quote unquote network and all this kind of stuff. And I was basically like wasting a lot of additional time that I could have done on like my own internal work. So every hour of my day was filled with something that could be something to do with work, which is great. Could be something to do with training. Could be something to do with my partner, but it also could be done with dumb stuff, just either like, you know, on the internet, interacting with uh, things I didn't need to interact with, or let's say just like hanging out in a sauna for a bit too long, whatever. So I was filling that, time whereby i knew if i could reduce that down and the elimination i learned this a lot from charlie morgan as well as like eliminating everything down to have a narrow focus the more closing my focus the better returns so if you imagine like um a magnifying glass if you're trying to catch a fire with something and you're looking at the sun in dubai and you put a magnifying glass down you can light that thing on fire super quickly but if i'm using a massive mirror i don't have the same focal mm. point so when I was able to take a lot of dumb stuff out, so for me, it was like training nearby my house, getting a really good gym nearby. It was getting like a half, pretty much like a chef making my food every single day, just dialed in very, very close, eliminating a lot of bullshit so I don't follow a lot of people on the internet. I'm very much focused on what I need to do, mm. what I need to achieve. That one, I became a lot, I guess, more content in where I was and what I have. And it made me appreciate what I have more. Like, I have, like, three dogs that I love. I have a partner that I love. a really good lifestyle. Um, like, I'm not going broke. Like, I'm pretty happy with how things are. And I have a lot to be grateful for. And then as a result, when I get up in the morning and things are a shit show, it's like, all right, okay, we fix things. We'll figure it out, so on and so forth. But when you're spinning so many plates, mm. a lot of your anxiety is driven by your own, the own reality that you've built for yourself um and you need to unwind and you need to go back to center and be like all right okay i like this i don't like this let's eliminate delegate or just remove for mm. good right and the more i'm doing that the more rootless i am in my time um the better i am the better i feel the you know i hang around people that lift me up like today like this is a fantastic conversation and i'm around these people that really lift me up versus drain my energy um and most people don't do that work which is tough I absolutely agree. Uh, people in life either give you energy or take it away. And I think mm. that's probably the big thing I'd finish this up on for everyone to take context from. Where's the best people, place for people to find out more about you, podcast? Uh, YouTube, Darren Lee, uh, kickoff sessions, or for Spotify and Darren Lee on Instagram. Awesome. Big thank you to that. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, dude. Appreciate um, it. For everyone listening, make sure you like, subscribe, and we'll see you next episode very soon. Smashed it. Cheers, dude. That's good. Great. Smash.